Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20 through 51, says this in the New King James Version. It says, so David rose early in the morning and left his sheep with a keeper and took things as he went and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies. I just want to park there for just one moment. The supplies were simply a shepherd's stick and all of the accoutrements that a shepherd would carry. Because in this particular scripture, David is still what they call a shepherd boy. Everybody say a shepherd boy. So he left his supplies... And he ran to the army, and he came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid." And so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. We'll give him his daughter. We'll give him his father's house. Exemption from taxes. Somebody say amen. amen. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner. So it shall be done for the man who kills him. And now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come up here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Ouch. And I know your pride and insolence, for you have come down to just see the battle, in other words. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Look at somebody and say, is there not a cause? Come on, look at somebody else and say, is there not a cause? If there's nobody else beside you, I see you looking at each other again, just turn around behind you and say, is there not a cause? (laughs) And then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Stay with me. Now, when the words of which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and and this is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came up and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has both killed lion and bear. And this uncircumcised uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. You may have your seats. As I contemplate what day it is, uh, realizing that many are celebrating Valentine's Day, I still often, I guess holidays aren't necessarily my favorite one because I oftentimes feel the pressure of needing to stay within the confines of the theme of the holiday. However, I'm a, I'm a bit rebellious in that manner. I'm still a little old-fashioned. My mom says um, I'm a bit of an old soul. I'm like a 
36-year-old trapped in a 60-year-old's body. I, I still like to seek the Lord as to what it is he's saying. I want to hear what the Lord is saying. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to come up, you know, during Christmas, there's these pressures of coming up with a Christmas message and, and so on. You have the pressure of when July comes around, you're pressured to preach on something that's a little patriotic and so on. Um, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is the greatest, uh, has the greatest creative mind. And um, so I was sitting before the Lord, and I know that many people, which we should always celebrate love, right? Uh, we don't just want to choose just one day. I think for guys, they kind of need to have that one day that they <laughs> plan, at least one day of the year, uh, to do something sweet with their wives. But as I, I was reflecting, I was, I was thinking about this story uh, of David. Um, David was known as a shepherd boy. And if you, if you really go back into the uh, pretext that led up to him fighting Goliath, David owned a harp. And he wasn't just a shepherd, but David was a lover. David was a lover of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he, he played his instruments, his strings, and he, he owned what's called a harp. I know we don't really see that as a worship instrument anymore. That was before the electric guitar and Led Zeppelin came out, there was David and his harp. Of course, I don't listen to Led Zeppelin. Look at somebody and say, you better not either. <laughs> but when I, when, I, when I think about David, I think about a man who was both a lover and a fighter. Most people's personalities are usually just one or the other. You're either the guy who is really tough, you might be a construction worker, you have those swelled knuckles of a carpenter, and anytime somebody cuts you off in traffic, even though you have the Jesus bumper sticker, uh, most of the time you do not speak in tongues when they cut you off, and you're a bit uh, rough. Uh, but, but here in this context, what I'm seeing here is both a lover and a fighter. Everybody say a lover and a fighter. When I was growing up, you know, we grew up in a really tough part of town. Um, I grew up, sometimes I'm ashamed to say it, uh, but I grew up in Pine Hills from about seven years old to um, uh, a preteen until I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I would oftentimes get in, uh, now I have to talk like a pastor, how do I dress this up? Uh, I used to get in lots of trouble uh, at school. I went to Carver Shores, it was an F-rated school. And me being Caucasian, uh, you had to fight a whole lot. And every time I would get home or get suspended, I would tell my mom, listen, I, I, I didn't start it, you know. And, and she would always say this reoccurring phrase, don't be a fighter, be a lover, you know. And so I grew up saying, you know, this, this little phrase, I'm a lover and not a fighter. <laughs> Has anybody heard that, heard that phrase before? And um, as, I'm, as I'm looking through the scripture and I'm trying to correlate it with what's happening um, today, I think being one or the other is dangerous. You know, love, just being a lover uh, can get you in trouble. Come on, we've seen some great men of God uh, fall this past year in 2020 with a little bit too much time on their hands. So we know that just a little bit too much love, and that just doesn't go for just men. Come on, ladies. Some of you have got yourself in trouble by being just a little bit too much of a lover and having too much of a, a big heart. But then on the other side of the spectrum, being a fighter um, can be a little to toxic, toxic as well, right? I mean, there's many, many divorces because a person is not so graceful, not so loving, not so forgiving, and not so understanding. And I believe that we're in an, a time and an hour where God wants to develop both characteristics in us. After all, Jesus is a lion and he's a lion and a lamb, not just one or the other. He's lion in certain, there's certain situations you don't need God to be a lion, come on, in your life. You need him as the lamb. You need him to be the shepherd who leads you beside 
still waters and lead you into green pastures. Those, those times when maybe you're feeling depressed or when you're feeling lost or when you're feeling lonely. We need that characteristic of God to come beside us and shepherd us and love us with and draw us with what the scripture calls cords of love. And then there are times you're going through intense seasons of warfare where it doesn't seem like anything you do seems to be right. All hell is breaking loose. Trouble is everywhere. You're having to pray and press in and it seems like husband is acting up or wife is acting up, job's not going right. Oh, come on, you guys look like you got everything going on right in your life. Can I get a witness in here? Come on, there's times when you need God to not step in as the gentle lamb, but you need to, him to step in as the lion that's in the tribe of Judah to fight your battles for you. Come on, can somebody say amen to that? And so today I want to preach a message about being a lover and a fighter y'all looking at me. Look at somebody and say, I'm a lover and a fighter. And, and I want to show you these two characteristics because David is the only man, say the only man, the only man in the entire Bible. God called other people other things. You know, Peter was a rock and Abraham was the pillar of faith or the man of faith. But then he gets to David and he's the only man that he sees and he says, I have found, and this is God's words, through a prophet, I have found a man after my very own heart. But this is a man who both fights lions, destroys bears, destroys giants with just five stones and a sling, and he's the very same man who's on the backside of a hillside shepherding sheep, playing the heart, loving God intentionally. God's worship leader of heaven. God's Bethel worship leader of heaven. He's the Matt Gilman of heaven, or he's the Akim of heaven, right? And so you see both of these characteristics in David. And in the life of every believer, you cannot be just one or the other, especially during the times that we're living in. We have to have both characteristics in a weaved in our spirit or our spiritual DNA if we're going to survive the times and days in which we are living in. One of the main reasons that God chose David was not just because he was a fighter, because he loved David before he won the fight. Can I just stop and park there for just one second? It's not in my notes. Do you know that God still loves you even though you don't accomplish what he's called you to accomplish in your life? Do you know he loves you before you kill your giants, before you slay your giants, before you reach your calling? He loves you before that. He loved David before he was a king. He loved David before he slew Goliath. He loved David before he would slay his 10,000s of 10,000s. He, he loved David before David would birth a son who would then build a temple or a house or a church for the Lord. He loved David before that. Look at somebody and say, God loves you right now. But one of the big reasons God turned to David and called David a man after his own heart is because David had a big heart. Watch, it says it in Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, meaning God had removed Saul from kingship, and he replaced him with David, he said he raised up for them, meaning the people of Israel, a king to whom he also gave a testimony and said of him, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. When you look at the very reasons that Saul who preceded, preceded excuse me, King David, I wrote it like this. If you look at the very reason that King Saul who preceded David was removed by God was because he allowed what he went through to turn him from a humble, loving person into a hard, calloused man. In other words, he allowed the wars that he went through to push him away from God instead of pushing him to him. And this is what you have to be careful because in a season where God is trying to develop the warrior side of you, and that's man and woman, you have to be careful not to allow what God allows you to go through to infiltrate your heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't allow the difficulties that you're facing right now to cause hardness in your heart towards God or towards people. Look at somebody and say, guard your heart. Come on, say it again. Say, guard your heart. And, and if, I can be, if I can be honest with you, I have seen two extremes in people. Can I give you a couple of examples? And I'm not naming names. 
I'm teasing. Look at everybody's just looking straight ahead. He's like, he knows my business. I'm kidding. I have seen these two extremes. I have an uncle as a little boy. My most fond memories were as a little boy, probably from the ages of four to eight. And my father was murdered when I was nine years old here in Winter Park. So I grew up not having a dad from the age of nine. So I had a really difficult upbringing. But I had an uncle who looked just like my dad. My dad was a blonde man. Believe it or not, I didn't get those genes. He had blue eyes too. He was blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot two. I'm like, Lord. (laughs) I'm kidding. His hair wasn't naturally blonde, but nonetheless, it was blonde. But I had an uncle who looked just like him. They looked like twins. And after the death of my father, uh, my uncle went downhill really fast. He was more of a father to me than my own uncle. He would take me on the boats on the weekend. He would, uh, I remember just coming, fond memories as a kid. I would, every time we would go on the boat, we'd stop at Dairy Queen. So I have all these fond memories of fishing and just hanging out with him. He was a father figure to me. But after my father's death, the, the issue was, is my uncle was best friends with my dad. And so he turned into quickly, he had never drank in his life, never smoked in his life, never, never before my father passed. But something happened when my father died and my uncle took it really hard. And my uncle turned into an alcoholic. He turned into, uh, he turned to drugs. And little by little, he had called me even a couple of years ago and he was literally living in the woods, on the streets. And, and this is the thing, is that we, can, we cannot stop what we go through, but we can process, we have the choice to process. Come on, we have the power to process it in a healthy way though. We don't have the power to stop going through hard seasons. We don't have the power to stop losing a loved one. We don't have the power to stop going through marital hardship or financial issues or pain, but we do have the power to process it in a healthy way. And I've had the other extreme. I've had people who are loving. There's a man sitting in this room, and he's probably going to smile and just smirk just a little bit and know I'm not looking at you right now because you'll know I'm talking to you. A man who was very rigid biblically, very black and white, but he had gone, he pastored for a while and ran a business and lots of hurt, lots of betrayal, went through surgery, went through heart surgery, went through a lot of loss and pain and even close to bankruptcy, if not bankruptcy, gone through all of this pain. And yet I, I sat with him not that long ago and I'm sitting before a person that doesn't look the same, doesn't talk the same. He's much more gentle. When I tell him about something that I'm going through as a minister and how these other guys had wronged me, the guy who used to say, you know, would say something like cut him off and you know, hand them to Satan like Paul did. He's saying, you just got to love them through it. So, so his, his, his trouble that he has gone through has actually softened him, not hardened him. Look at somebody and say, may your trouble soften you, not harden you. And this is, this is what sin does to the believer. This is what, this is what hardship will do to a believer if you're not careful. Because David went through hardship too. And I can guarantee you, if, you're, if, you've, if you've passed the age of five years old, you've probably realized that not everything in life is going to be easy. No matter how much you love the Lord, no matter how much you go to church, there will be hardship and trial in your life. This whole gospel message that's being preached out there, that if you love Jesus just enough, if you turn around five times, if you clap and shout long enough, if you run around the church long enough, come on, if you sow enough, you will be exempt from pain. But can I tell you, the Bible talks about pain, it talks about suffering, but it talks about how to stay close to God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trouble. And this is what develops you into a person who is not calloused, but you still have a big open heart where, where you can come to the place where God says the same things about you like he said about David. I have found a woman. I have found a man after my very own heart. They have not allowed their trouble to push them away from me. They have allowed their trouble to cause them to become more dependent upon me, to learn to love me more, come on, to learn to lean on me more, to see me in greater ways that they have never seen me before. Come on, even sickness, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be disease, it could be marital hardship, it could be 
financial problems. It could be problems in your business. It could be you feeling lost and not knowing where your next step is as it relates to your calling in God. Can I tell you, do not allow those situations to harden you or push you away. Allow them to draw you closer to the Father. And this is what David did. David's heart enlarged towards God. And it made him a lover of good and a despiser of evil. Usually you get a Christian who's either one extreme. They really hate evil, but they're judgmental. They're harsh. I used to be that one. It's confession day. There's some of you who've been that one too. I came from a ministry. I will by no means ever publicly nor privately speak ill of this ministry. But there were many years after I had been a part of this ministry for about 10 years there were certain things that I had to get rid of after I left the ministry. I learned warfare, but I didn't learn grace. Jesus is grace and truth. Come on. Jesus is grace and truth. And you usually have one believer who's one or the other. He's grace and truth. Come on, say grace and truth. You can have both. You have to know when you should be graceful. If someone is feeling shame and guilt and condemnation, you shouldn't speak down to them. You have to be graceful. And now when someone is on their high horse and they're blind by their sin and their pride, that's when it's time to give them a slab of truth. Come on, grace and truth. You have, the mature believer can shift gears based on the situation. And here's how you know it's led by the Spirit. It's when, that draw, when, you're, when your words either draw them to God or push them away from God. And David was this kind of man. He had a big heart but he had thick skin. Grace and truth. Somebody say grace and truth. You know what I found? I have found that there are too many people, speaking of being a lover of good and a despiser of evil. He was a lover and a fighter. Everybody say a lover and a fighter. So grace and truth. Side note, if you simply focus on loving Jesus, you can I just say this? When I was growing in my relationship with the Lord, I learned a lot from the ministry that I came out from. I learned warfare, but I also learned judgment. And what I found out is when I grew, when I kind of grew out of that and began to wipe some of those things off of me, I learned that I don't have to try to be good as long as I just fall in love with Jesus, I will do good. When you, when you love, see, this is the problem, that, that Christians try to be Christians too hard. They try too hard. When you just focus on loving Jesus, when you focus on spending time with him and read his word, by default, the things that have you bound begin to fall off of you. So, so no more of this, I have to try to be good. I didn't have to try to start being more loving. I didn't have to try. I did for a long time. I tried. But once I started just falling in love with him all over again, guess what happens in the life of the believer? The fruit of the Spirit starts coming out of you. Because who you spend time around the most, you begin to look like them. You begin to feel like them. You begin to process things like they would. The reason my son looks like me, he even does his hair like me. And he got his hair cut when he wasn't even with me the other day. And he came home. He had the same exact part as I do in my hair. I think it's even on the same side, or maybe it's not because he looks in the mirror when I'm doing my hair, so I think he put it on the opposite side. But, but he's doing things like me, but he doesn't have to try. It's because he spends so much time with me, he begins to take upon himself my characteristics. And that's the same with the life of a believer. You don't have to try to have a big heart. When you love a father, or you, when you love your heavenly father and pursue him wholeheartedly, Come on, this is what the Bible says. The pure in heart shall see God. When you're pure towards the Lord, when you're loving towards him, when you spend time with him, by default, you take upon his nature, his characteristics. One word of wisdom this morning. Either one of these, either grace or truth, or being a lover or a fighter, will destroy the life of the believer. Do you know how many marriages I've seen that are godly people, loving people, can quote the scripture but fight like cats and dogs? All truth, 
no grace. Do you see that? And, and, when, you, and when you, on the other hand, when, when you love too much and there's too much grace, there's an enabling. Nothing ever changes. Come on, when you love too much, watch how, watch how sin begins to twist this. When you love too much, you love yourself more than others. When, when you love too much, you start loving life more than you love Jesus. When you start, when you, when you love too much, come on, you start loving animals more than you love people. I'm talking about loving in an unhealthy way. I'm talking about an imbalanced type of love. Come on, when you, when you start loving a little bit too much, you start loving creation more than your creator. Come on, I'm, you know, you start hugging trees and stuff. When you, when, you, when, you, when you love sometimes too much, you start loving on your kingdom more than his kingdom. When you, when you love too much, you start caring about a woman's free choices instead of caring about life that's in the womb. I'm talking about, I'm talking about imbalanced love. Can I preach this morning? You, we have to have a balanced diet of both love and grace, of both being a lover and a fighter. And again, when you fight too much, you start fighting on social media instead of fighting your fight of faith. When you're too much of a fighter, you start fighting about anything and everyone that you don't agree with. Do you know why God put the fight in you? To fight the enemy of your soul. Not to fight your spouse. Not to fight each other. Not to fight the church, not to speak ill of other leaders. Now, I'm talking about grace and truth. So, yes, we should be able to speak the truth, but it says speak it in love. Look at somebody and say, speak the truth in love. And there is a scene in David's life where, yes, he was a lover of God. But when he allowed the Valentine's Day spirit <laughs> infiltrate his life after he'd become king, after he got the notoriety, after he finally found power. I'm gonna tell you a small little story. Can I take a little longer than I normally would? There was this time when he was at home, and I'm not gonna go there, but in, in, in Samuel, if you read the book of Samuel, it tells about the life of David from him being a shepherd to the king to his fall and to his rise again. But there's, there's a scripture, and I quote, it says this, in the time when kings go to battle, in other words, his men were on the battlefield, and a king would be the forerunner on the battlefield. It says, in the time when kings went to battle, David stayed at home. And David was a lover, but he began to love when he should have been fighting. And there are some people who fight when they should be loving. Come on, all the married couples say amen. amen. And there are times when you should be loving when you should be fighting. And so David is out on his terrace. He's out on the deck. And he, the Bible says he's seen a woman from afar, a woman by the name of Bathsheba, and he casts longing eyes on her. The short story is, it was his right-hand man's wife. And David, looking for any children here, David sleeps with her. David impregnates her. And David goes on to try to cover his sin. And by covering his sin, he sends his man out on the front line of battle, basically murders his own friend. He puts him in the heat of the battle. He puts him on the front line because he knows that every man on the front line is more likely to die. So he dies. What am I trying to say is that you have to be careful if you're in a season where it's time to love and it's, excuse me, it's time to love and you're fighting, right? If it's time to love your spouse and you find yourself fighting, it's time to, to, to love God more, and yet you're staying at, church, staying at home instead of coming to church. Come on, look straight ahead. Come on, I'm trying to make it practical. We have to be careful about seasons where it's time to fight and we end up loving because we find ourselves entrapped in sin. And that's exactly what David did. He was loving when he should have been fighting. And there are times when we should be fighting, excuse me, when we should be loving and we end up fighting. Amen? It goes both ways. Amen? Come on, say, somebody, somebody say, give me both, Lord. Help me to be a lover and a fighter. David was also thick-skinned. 
I'm going to get to the good part in just a moment. He was thick-skinned. And, and this is what I believe the reason that David walked in victory for most of his life is he had thick skin. In your walk with God, you have to have both. Thick skin and a big heart. Thick skin and a big heart. Can I tell you how hard it is to pastor? The people who come to you and, I love you. I'm with you till the end. I'll do anything for you, Pastor. Come on, you guys experience the same thing. Do you have friends in your life that you thought would be there forever? They say, we'll never leave you. I'll always be by your side and they're the first people to, to leave. It's a difficult thing. And, and as a believer, you have to have a big heart like David did, but yet you have to remain thick-skinned. When you examine King David's life, it was a life marked by betrayal and heartache and pain. And yet he remained a lover of God. He went through things, yet he didn't allow the things to get in him. His love got into the thing. Do you see the difference? His family discounted him. His mentor turned to jealousy, King Saul, and betrayed him and tried to murder him dozens of times. He lost his firstborn child. His best friend betrayed him and set a trap for him. His camp burned down. And not only did his men's wives and family get stolen when he was away at battle, but his own family was taken, his wife was taken captive, his children were taken captive, and yet David had a big heart. But here's how it, and, and during these times, you, you read all these Psalms of David praising God and loving God. He's talking about, Lord, you have hidden me in your secret place. He talks about praise. He talks about being under the shadow of the Almighty. He talks about passionately pursuing God. These are the times when he says, Lord, until I see your presence, I'm going to keep soaking my pillow with my tears. He's pouring out his love on God. Why? Because his situations are not getting in him because he has thick skin, excuse me, thick skin, but yet he remains having a big heart. He had a big heart. Everybody say, a big heart. And thick skin. I, I love this scripture right here. It's found in Proverbs. Is this okay? Am I boring you? It says, keep your heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issue of life. This may be a little bit controversial, but do you know that God's hurt is his training ground to thicken your skin? Before I ever started pastoring, which is almost now five years almost, but been in ministry either directly or indirectly for almost the past 15, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Say amen, Dean. Because hardship, God will allow hardships to thicken your skin. If I was the me, you know, 15 years ago who couldn't handle offenses, Imagine how many people I would be bitter at, people who leave you, people, come on, has anybody ever experienced some loss and heartache in here that had the potential to callous your heart? And there are times in my life when, when I wanted to walk away like, Lord, I love you, but your people sure are hard to love sometimes, just sometimes. Come on, sometimes it's hard to love your spouse when you're going through hardship, hard to love a coworker, hard to love a boss, but Hurt is God's training ground to thicken your skin. Say thicken skin. Was everything that happened in David's life God's will? Absolutely not. But it did condition David for the promise. Did you hear what I said? That was almost worthy to write down if you're taking notes. Was it God's will that he lost a baby? No. Was it God's will that all these people betrayed him? No. As a matter of fact, it's funny how God promised him that he was going to be king, but he didn't tell him any of the details that he was going to use to thicken his skin. He didn't tell him about the betrayal. He didn't tell him that his wife would be taken captive or his kids would be taken captive. God revealed none of this. He just says, you're going to be king. You're going to rule one day. Yet God doesn't tell him any of the dash in between because the dash in between, God knows you'll run from the promise if, you, if he tells you about the process. But God will use that dash in between the hardship, the trial, and the pain to thicken your skin to do what? To get you ready for his will for your life. To get you ready for his promise. To position you to accomplish all that he's called you to accomplish. This is an example 
how David almost gets murdered by Saul many times. Saul would throw his javelin at David. He, they used spears back then. He tried to kill him multiple times. He put manhunts out to seek David's head. And, and think about this. Eventually, Saul commits suicide. Eventually. Some scholars say that he was murdered, but if you read the scripture in, in the book of Samuel, it actually says Saul is standing there. He's in the heat of the battle, the king, uh, who would uh, eventually, David would take his, his throne. Eventually, Saul falls on his own sword and, and commits suicide. And so a guy comes to tell David, and many times David almost got murdered by Saul. So, so a gentleman goes to David and says, Master, David, Saul's dead. David says, how do you know this? He said, because I have his crown. And so he wanted to take the credit for killing Saul, but he didn't kill Saul. But as a result of that, listen to David's response. I'm not going to read it, but he says something along this, these lines. And, and I quote, were you not afraid to touch God's anointed? In other words, why would you kill the king? David immediately commands his men to kill this gentleman. And if it were you and you were almost getting murdered a few times, wouldn't you say, thank the Lord, the Lord took him out. Thank God the Lord protected me. At least I didn't have to do it. This is not David's heart at all. David says, you killed the Lord's anointed? Your blood be on your own hands. And has the man murdered? If I can be honest, I don't know if I would have that same stance. I would have, I would have been like, thank the Lord. I didn't have to do it myself. But here's, what I'm, here's the point I'm trying to drive. This just goes to show you how big David's heart was and how thick his skin was. Yeah. David was so thick-skinned that he didn't allow anything that Saul did to move him from being, having that Christ-like character. He didn't allow anything that he did. And at the first chance, as a matter of fact, David had many chances to kill Saul. Many chances. He would put a javelin next to Saul while he was sleeping and said, I could have killed you. Stop chasing me down. Stop trying to kill me. But yet he grieves at, the, at Saul's death. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he went on a fast. He was so sad. This just goes to show you how loving and how, what a man of character he was. This just goes to show you how fit he was to be a king because he had a big heart, yet he had thick skin. When, it, when he had the opportunity to retaliate, he didn't take it. He remained having Christ-like character. Big heart, thick skin. Somebody say big heart, big heart. and thick skin. When I think about this story, I can't help but correlate it with mine. Can I tell you a quick story briefly? I had a really good friend of mine in my early 20s. He's one of my best friends. He kicked me out of the house. He was a little older than me, and so he was a bit more tidier than I was in my early 20s. I'm very tidy now. Well, I can say that my wife's not in here. She makes me look tidy. I would eat out of the peanut butter jar and you know, drink out of the gallon. I don't know if you guys grew up like I did. I'm much more tamed and sophisticated. At least I like to think so. So my friend kicks me out of the house. And he says, I'm giving you 30 to 60 days. You know, I'm leaving. Basically, he said he was going to sign another lease, but really it was his way of getting rid of me. But he, he didn't realize, and it hurt me deeply. It, it really did. I never told him it hurt me, even to this day. I never told him it hurt me. I just brought it to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, that was a bit of a low blow. But little did he know that he would be calling me in two years and be sleeping on the streets. And he calls me and he says, can I come stay with you? And immediately I thought to myself, payback. <laughs> I wasn't being spiritual. I had to pray first. In about 30 seconds of my head, I had to go through this. And I chose the harp instead of the javelin. And the Lord says, said to me, I want you to extend grace. I want you to extend mercy. Would it be truthful that yes, he abandoned you? Yes, he hurt you? Yes, he betrayed you? But the Lord said, be gracious. And I opened my doors. And of course, he came to live with me for some time, I think six months or so before he had got on his feet 
But that just goes to show you, you have to, in your relationship with your friends, you're going to have friends that hurt you. You're going to have friends that betray you. You're going to go through situations, times, seasons that have the potential to callous your heart. You have to remain thick-skinned but keeping a big heart. You can't allow what happens to you in your life to define your Christianity. You can't allow the world and its sin and its burdens and its rejections and its hardships and its pains to callous you over to where when people look at you, the only way they can decipher you from a Christian is the necklace that you wear on your neck. They define you by you living gracefully and truthfully, by both having a big heart and thick skin. Come on, where are the people with thick skin these days? You know, I'm tired of, of I, was ti- I became tired of becoming that Christian that was w- ready to backslide just because I couldn't pay my bills. We have to have thick skin. Even though, even though God sometimes doesn't look like he's up to good in your life, can I remind you that he still is good? Can I tell you, even though you may not feel love this morning, that God does love you? Can I tell you, it may seem like he's not moving on your behalf or he even cares. Can I tell you that he who loves you never, 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 never sleeps, never slumbers. He cares deeply for you. He wants to move on your behalf. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I got two more things and I'll let you go. I won't be like Pharaoh and keep God's people today. So he didn't just have a big heart and thick skin. He had a sling. He had a sling. What do I mean by he had a sling? A sling is an indication of, it's a a form of weaponry back then. And you know, there's so many Christians that I feel like that's all they carry around is a sling and a stone, ready to throw stones, ready to judge somebody. Come on. He had a sling. Smith Wigglesworth, I love Smith Wigglesworth. You oftentimes hear me quote him. He was called the apostle of faith. I oftentimes listen to his audio books. He passed back in 1847, a life that was squeaky clean, not not even a whisper of controversy. Um, He deeply loved the Lord. Uh, Under his ministry, just to tell you how extreme it was, there was 20 people recorded that were dead and were raised back to life. Like we're talking about days, he went in morgues, and I mean, it was just insane. Like walking out the book of Acts, I mean, this was the guy. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen the dead raised. Any of you have seen the dead raised? Well, he's seen the dead raised, he's seen the sick healed, and he was known for punching people in the stomach who had cancer because it was known if you hit somebody who had cancer, they would die. Well, he was in a meeting at one point, and there was a man who had one of those gowns on, you know, that it's kind of open in the back. You know that gown that you have to kind of tie up before your friends visit you in the hospital? He was up in this gown, and, he, and it was kind of open. And the story goes on to say that when Smith got to this gentleman, he said, uh, what's, what's up is, is, is another way of saying what's wrong with you. He was, uh, he was from England, so he had this uh, weird dialect. And the doctor was with this gentleman. And uh, he said, uh, the doctor spoke for the gentleman who had cancer. And he says, my patient has cancer. He needs your prayer. He's, he's going to die. He only has days to live. Smith Wigglesworth wounds up his hand and punches this gentleman in the stomach. I mean, if I hit somebody in here, I'd go to jail. I mean, you guys complain about laying hands gently these days. No, I'm kidding. So he hits this gentleman. You'll get it. It's hand sanitizer right in the front. He hits this gentleman in the stomach. This gentleman falls over headlong on the floor. And this doctor says, you killed him. You killed him. Smith, like nothing, he just prays through the, he says he's healed. And he walks away and he finishes down the prayer line. Maybe a hundred people are standing there. There's an old picture of it. And the gentleman ends up getting up off the floor perfectly healed, screaming and shouting, and he's just dancing all around. And then somebody interviews Smith and says, um, why, do you, why do you hit people? Why are you so rough? And he says these words, I don't hit them. He says, I aim at the devil and they just get in the way. <laughs> Come on, that deserves a hand clap. <laughs> God gave you your rough, can I just speak to the rough personality people just a moment? Let me get comfortable and get away from that pulpit. God gave you a tough personality for a reason. He gave you a sling for a reason. 
He gave it not to use it on people, Mom. When I was a kid, I mean, she threw gallons of milk at me. I mean, just, I was a heathen. And she had this tough personality, but my mom had been through a ton. But can I tell you, she's one of the reasons, she, now she's converted, now she's too gentle now. I say, I say her, to her all the time, I wish you treat me like you do your grandson. She's so loving and so gentle, gives him anything he wants. I'm like, I didn't get this kind of treatment. But she learned the balance of being big-hearted, thick-skinned, and she, she, she now knows how to use her sling. And God gave David a sling for a reason, to not use on people, but to use on his giants. And there, there, is this, there is this thing that's in each and every one of us, this tenaciousness, and everybody has it. Don't act like you don't have it. You know how you act when you're behind closed doors towards your wife or your spouse. But God gave you this in your heart in your personality to apply it to the enemy, to apply it to warfare. When you go into warfare, listen, when you, when, when Smith, excuse me, Reinhard Bonnke said it like this, when I see how the people of God are tormented in the kingdom of God, bound by drugs, bound by alcohol, bound by all kinds of addictions, pornography, you name it, bound with sickness and disease. He said, when I see that, I will not purr like a kitten. I will roar like a lion. And there's times to be gentle, there's times to be harsh. And the reason that God gave us our sling, gave us that personality that is aggressive, that is strong, is not to use it on your spouse, not to use it on your boss. Come on, somebody. But to use it, I see some people looking like he's talking directly to me. Just look straight. You don't even, I won't tell on you. You, you, you use the sling towards the enemy. My, my team told me on Friday night, we had a, a worship meeting in here. They all told me I was too soft, pretty much. I said, wow, if you would have known me 10 years ago, there's some of my friends in the room who know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but I'm learning and ha have learned to a degree and I'm still learning when to use my sling and when to use my heart. And so when I get up here, I'm a little bit more intense, but in private, you see, I'm much more shy. I'm reserved. I don't want to step on people's toes. If a volunteer cancels on me, like literally last minute, an hour before service, I'm like, okay, bless you. The old me would have been like, you need to stay committed to Jesus. But you have to learn when to use the sling and when to be graceful. Somebody say balance. We have to learn balance. And this is the reason that God gave. And I love this scripture. I, I don't have it in my notes, but it just came to my mind before I close in just a couple of minutes. The Bible says that God trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. On the other extreme, there are some of you in here who have not an aggressive, tenacious bone in your body. Many people who do not get tenacious in certain seasons in their lives are those people who stay bound and stuck in their situations. There are times and seasons when we have to go to warfare. Yes, not everything that you go through is demonic. Not everything is spiritual. But can I tell you, a lot of it is. A lot of what you're dealing with is. A lot of it is due to the enemy not wanting you to progress in your relationship with God. It's certainly not God's will that you remain sick. It's certainly not God's will for you to remain bound. It's certainly not God's will for you to remain stuck in your situation. There are times when we need to bring out our five stones, which by the way, the number five, ooh, this is so good. The Holy Spirit just dropped this down in me. I'm gonna take my own notes. The number five, he used five stones. Everybody say five. You know what the five, number five represents? Grace. Grace is the rocks. The sling is truth. Grace and truth. In other words, big heart, thick skin. Grace and truth. So we want to use grace in our situations and we want to use truth. Some of you need to dust off your sling this morning if you want to get out of your situation. And warfare. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Aren't we tired of the enemy winning? And some of you may say, well, I'm not losing. My job is intact. My marriage 
is intact? Well, let me ask you something. Is your mind intact? Is your heart intact? And even if that all seems to be, and you seem to have it all together, you can stand to your feet. I have a question. Is your relationship with God intact? I want you to look with someone with conviction in your eyes for me. Spouses, make sure you stare at them real good too. Say, is your relationship with God intact? Now stay there. Say this. Is it really? We have to use our sling, not on our family members, not on our coworkers or boss, but we have to use it on the enemy. And lastly, as I close, and I love this, this is my very favorite, is David had a harp. He didn't just love on Valentine's Day. As a matter of fact, when you, when you read when David is dying, I love the way the Bible depicts David because it doesn't even harp on anything about his killing 10,000s of 10,000s. You remember when the scripture talks about Saul slayed his thousands, but David slayed his 10,000s? It doesn't refer to that to any degree. It doesn't talk about his kingship. It doesn't talk, that almost sounds like a harp. It doesn't talk about his kingship. It doesn't talk about his rulership. It doesn't talk about him ruling and reigning for over 40 years, I believe. It doesn't talk about any of that. You know what it says? In 2 Samuel 23, I want you to take a mental note of that and I want you to read it for yourself. I don't believe it'll be up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse one. It says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Listen how he refers to himself. Thus says the man raised up on high. Okay, he did drop something in there, but listen. He says, the anointed of God of Jacob, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist. The sweet psalmist of Israel. In other words, all those years of you hear him fighting and going to battle, he never put down his harp. He had grace and he had truth. He never, all the stuff that he had been through, he never lost his affection for the Lord James. He kept his affections on the Lord. He didn't allow sickness to rob him of his love for God. What does the harp represent? It represents worship. All that 40-year reign of the betrayal. His own son betrayed him. His own son tried to take the throne. And yet David is still strumming his harp at the end of his life. He's still worshiping. What am I trying to say this morning? What point am I trying to drive? Pastor Donnie, what are you trying to say? Don't allow situations to determine your deep love for God or affect your deep love for God. And my second point would be that you bring balance in your relationship with God with both grace and truth. And to be a lover and a fighter. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.